23, we have Jesus speaking pretty strongly to the religious leaders of his day. In fact, he's got some criticisms to uh, give them. In fact, there are seven major areas that he confronts them in. Uh, he doesn't believe they've led the people faithfully. Uh, many of them become hypocritical and legalistic. And so we're just going to read one of his condemnations, one of his criticisms of these religious leaders. Uh, in the old King James, it says, Whoa. Everyone say, Whoa. <laughs> That's W-O-E, not W-O-A-H. Uh, but in the New Living Translation, it says this in Matthew 23, verse 23. What sorrow or woe, uh, what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are careful to tithe even your tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith or faithfulness. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. It's a very interesting uh, statement by Jesus towards the religious leaders of his day. Uh, you know, the entire Israelite nation operated on a system of tithing, giving 10% of one's income and being a primarily agrarian society that usually included giving produce from the farm. Uh, mill, dint, uh, sorry, mint, dill, and cumin, or cumin, I think is the proper pronunciation. Thank you very much, Sandra. Mint, dill, and cumin were herbs or spices, they still are today, from the kitchen garden, and they were grown in such small quantities that to tithe on such a small amount, uh, most people would not even have bothered or worried about it. But the Pharisees, were pedantic tithers, and Jesus actually commends them for their attention to detail. They were tithing on their herbs, on their spices, so he commends them for that, but he actually says there's some more important matters than just focusing on tithing. Uh, we won't do a teaching on tithing today, but simply to say some churches in the world say that all the Old Testament laws about tithing are relevant today, and if you don't tithe, you're actually under a curse. In fact, I heard one pastor preach and say there were people sick in the church because they hadn't been tithing. Pretty, pretty heavy, huh? Uh, other churches, not Bayside, uh, other churches go the other extreme and say, well, it's all Old Testament and the tithing laws no longer apply today and you'll find plenty of books out there against tithing. Uh, here at Bayside, I love the balanced approach of the leaders here, is that we realize we're no longer under the curse of the law and you don't need to bring every tenth apple from your garden down to the church office or your herbs and spices. Uh, we aren't under the law anymore, but in the New Testament, we have this spirit of generosity where we don't give because we have to, we give because we want to. And tithing, although it's no longer a law, it's a great principle of honoring God with the first part of our income. Everyone said amen. amen. And Bayside is very thankful for the generosity of those who give ultimately to the Lord, but to resource all the ministries happening here at Bayside. But Jesus says to the Pharisees, good on you, you're pedantic tithers, but there's actually more important things. There are weightier matters than just tithing. Um, the, the Pharisees were neglecting or omitting or passing over some of the more important laws in the eyes of God. Uh, in fact, in the next verse, Jesus uses a pretty vivid illustration. He says, you blind guides 
you strain out a gnat, but you swallow a camel. Uh, Jesus had a sense of humor. You know, a gnat was a little insect, and a camel, both of them were seen as unclean. You weren't supposed to eat them. The Pharisees are straining out this gnat so they don't swallow it, but they go and eat a camel. Jesus is basically saying, you've got all your proportions out of whack. You are obsessed with the insignificant, but what really matters to God, you have been neglecting. And Jesus gives three specific important matters, weighty matters, really valuable things from God's perspective, uh, justice, mercy, and faithfulness or loyalty. And so if we were uh, summarizing Jesus' little teaching here, this is the title of our message today, Justice Trump's Spices. That's if you like to take notes and you like a message title, that's our title tonight. Uh, spices, herbs, tithing on them, that's what the Pharisees got very focused on. Jesus says, Justice trumps. It's more important. It's actually more essential than our pedantic tithing. Justice matters to God. Uh, if you've ever read through the Bible, God is not only a God of love, but a God of justice. And his passion is for our life together as human race. And justice is not just uh, personal, but it's political. It's about personal well-being, but also social well-being within society. Unfortunately, sometimes the gospel today has been reduced to my personal benefits, knowing my sins are forgiven, knowing that when my time's up, I'm going to heaven. We've kind of reduced the gospel to a personal salvation rather than realizing, yes, God's interested in our personal life, but he's also interested in the kingdom of God coming, being displayed in our world right here, right now. In fact, the primary message of Jesus is, was, was about the kingdom of God. Well, what is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is what would life be like on earth if God were king and the rulers of this world were not? It's a pretty good question, isn't it? What, what would Australia be like if God was in charge? What would uh, our city be like? What would the world be like if God was ruling, if God was reigning? And so God is a God of justice. Justice means to set things right for the benefit of individuals, but also the benefit of all of society. And God's kingdom is not just about heaven when we die. In fact, the Lord's Prayer says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How many know heaven's doing pretty well? Yeah, heaven's doing great. The real challenge is here on earth. And so Jesus is saying, pray, not just so we'll all get out of here and go to heaven one day. Pray that God's will, God's kingdom will come here on earth. And God's kingdom is not only a kingdom of love, but a kingdom of justice. Heaven's in great shape. Earth is where the challenges are. And so for those of us who are followers of Jesus here today, listening online, the church is to be the visible demonstration of God's kingdom. And we're to be the instruments of God, bringing justice, bringing mercy into our world. And so in some ways, Jesus was novel in his teaching. He brought about some radical new thoughts. But in many ways, Jesus was continuing the teaching and the themes of the tradition of the prophets of old. He was reinforcing a message that had been right throughout history. Let's look at one example, and that is the prophet Micah. Micah 6 verse 8, what does the Lord require of you? Pretty good question, isn't it? What's God actually interested in? What does he want from you? What does he want from me? Uh, it's interesting what isn't in this answer to the question. 
Uh, it's not actually about even believing the right things. He says, well, what does God require of us? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. You know, beliefs are really, really important, but how many can see the way we live our life is actually more important than what we believe? And usually the way we live our life reflects what we really believe. But getting our beliefs right is important, but it's how we're living our life. What does God want from me, Mark Connor? What does he want from you to act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly? Notice their action words, their practices. It's what I do with my life, not just what I believe with my head. Back to the Pharisees, we can probably be a little hard on the Pharisees. And I think if we had them here today and we interviewed them and we actually said to them, uh, do you believe justice is important? They'd probably say, yes, yeah, we, we, we believe justice is important. They would affirm that. Uh, the trouble with the Pharisees and with me and with you today is often there's a gap between what we believe and how we live our lives. We will affirm things that we believe, but sometimes there's a gap between, are we actually living these things out? I think the Pharisees would have said, yeah, justice is important. But the way they were living, they were getting caught up in the insignificant tithing of their herbs and spices. And although they said they believed in justice, their life was not reflecting that. See, all of us, all of us today have what we call preferred values. These are things that we acknowledge or affirm as important. And we all have what we call actual values, which is the way we live our life, the things we actually do. Uh, years ago in America, there was a survey by the Gallup organization, and they did this uh, survey trying to discern what are some of the greatest uh, causes of stress among the average American public. And the results were quite challenging. The greatest cause of stress was not financial uh, challenges. It wasn't even relational issues. The greatest cause of stress the survey revealed was something called incongruent values. Incongruent values, which means the average person they discovered had a big gap between what they said was important and how they were living their life. And that gap was causing incredible stress for them. Let me give you an example. If you ask the average person today, do you value your health? How many, how many value their health? Health, yes, health. <laughs> yeah, health, not health, not hell, health. You know, everyone would say, I value my health. But then the next question is, do you exercise? Of course, Bayside, we do, yes. Uh, do you think about what you eat? Do you take, yeah, you think a lot about it, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Do you take a day off? We'd all say we value our health, but are we actually living in a way that reflects that value? You ask the average person, do you value your family? Of course. Everyone says, yeah, I value my family. Do you spend time together? Do you resolve conflicts when they happen? Someone's laughing. <laughs> Obviously not yet. You know, uh, again, and I don't think Aussies are much different than Americans. Uh, again, you ask people, do you believe in God? Yeah, believe in God. Uh, ever talk to him? Ever spend time with him? When you're making a decision, do you include God? Do you, you see what I'm talking about? We all easily affirm values, but the way we live our life often doesn't reflect that. In fact, the word integrity means there's an integration between what I say is important and the way I'm living my life. And for all of us, myself included, 
there's a bit of a gap. And so this was the problem with the Pharisees. It wasn't that they didn't believe in justice. They'd read the prophets. They'd read Micah 6, 8. They'd memorized it. But the way they were living their life was not demonstrating that value. And so in today's message, I want to talk about some ways that we can act justly. ACT. We'll look at three, three things we can do to take this idea of justice, of setting the world right, and make sure we're not just affirming it, but living it out on a daily basis. How do we do that? The first thing is something called awareness. Awareness. If we're going to act justly, it starts with being aware of what's happening in our world. Uh, ignorance is not bliss. And earlier in Matthew, Matthew 9, 36 to 37, it says Jesus went out of the house. And when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion because they were like sheep wandering without a shepherd to care for them. Uh, notice the language. Jesus went out and he saw, his eyes were open. He saw the multitudes coming to and fro with no leadership, no direction, aimless, and he was moved with compassion. And this awareness led him to actually do some things. And so the challenge for you and I in our daily lives is that we cultivate a sense of awareness of what is happening in our world. We now live in a global village, and yet it's very easy to not see what's happening with people's lives. When we begin to see, when we open our eyes, when we listen, when we hear, when we become aware, then the potential of our heart being moved is there, and we start to be able to live out this area of justice. One of the things that tends to prevent awareness is something that some people refer to as blind privilege. Anyone heard the phrase blind privilege? Uh, it refers to privileges that we have, often by birth, that we're not even aware of. Uh, we all have them. <laughs> I have them. Uh, I am, I am uh, just, just because of my birth, I am white, in case you didn't know. I'm very white. Uh, I am male. Yes, I'm male. I'm a white male. I'm very tall. Alice said, very tall before church today. So I, with no, nothing I've earned or voted for, I'm white, I'm male, I'm tall, uh, I'm middle class, born, grew up in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne, I'm educated, I'm married, and I grew up in a Christian home. There's nothing wrong with all those things. They're all really, really good things. But if I'm not careful, all those things can actually blind me. Because I have no idea what it would be like to have a different color skin. I have no idea what that would feel like. I have no idea what it would be like to be a woman in today's world that still has a lot of male domination. I've got no idea what it would be like to be short. <laughs> I'm very tall. I've got no idea what it would be like to live in a poor part of a city, a poor part of Melbourne, to not be educated. I have no idea what it would be like to have a, a religious belief other than Christian, to, to be Muslim, to be Buddhist, to be Hindu, to be uh, Sikh, to be an atheist. I have no idea. And so those things that I can appreciate and value, if I'm not careful, can actually blind me to what it's like to be another person and therefore hinder me from being even aware of what it would be like 
to be in their shoes, to be in their life, and therefore immune to sometimes the injustices that are happening in people's world. And so for us to act justly, we have to cultivate, which means getting out of our comfort zone. It means opening our eyes. It means reading. It means learning to become aware, because unless we open our eyes and see the needs of the world, hear the cries of the poor and the oppressed, feel what God feels then we will never move to acting justly. Jesus saw. What do you see when you look around you? Let's just take the area of of poverty. Accurate statistics are pretty difficult today, but the United Nations a few years ago estimate that nearly half of the world's population, that's 3 billion people, live on less than $2.50 a day. Uh, More than 1.3 billion live in extreme poverty, less than $1.25 a day. Again, I read that, it's just pretty hard to imagine. What would it look like to live on $1.25 a day? Uh, It's just hard to imagine what it would like to be in that group of people in our global village. Uh, A prominent economist tried to describe the luxuries you and I would have to abandon if we were to adopt the lifestyle of our 1.3 billion neighbors who live in desperate poverty. This is what he said. We start by entering your house. This is just an example. Just relax. Um, We start by entering your house, and we would remove all of your furniture. Everything goes. Beds, chairs, tables, TV. (laughs) Some of you are feeling depressed already. Uh, Lamps, lights, it it all goes. All you're left with are a few old blankets, one kitchen table, and a wooden chair. Everything else is gone. Out go all your clothes. You can keep the clothes that you're wearing, maybe a spare set. The head of the family can have a pair of shoes, but there's none for the wife. There's none for the children. Move over to the kitchen. All the appliances have already gone. Go to the cupboards. There's a box of matches. There's a bag of flour. You can keep some sugar and some salt. A few moldy potatoes will be much of tonight's meal. Uh, Maybe some onions and some dried beans. Everything else leaves the kitchen. The meat, the fresh vegetables, the canned goods, the biscuits, the lollies, the Tim Tams. I added that in. The Tim Tams. They're all gone. Next to house, the house is stripped, the bathroom is dismantled, there's no running water anyway, Uh, the electric wires are taken out, next we actually take away your house and you move out to the tool shed. Communications go, there's no newspapers, no magazines, no books, not that you'll miss them because you can't read anyway. There's a radio, no mobile phone, now we're really feeling the anxiety lift in the room. Government services go, there's no post, posty dropping by, there's no firemen in the vicinity, there's a school, but it's about three miles away, consisting of two classrooms. No hospitals, there's no doctors nearby, there's a medical clinic about 10 miles away, tended by a midwife. You can reach it by bicycle if you have one, but you probably won't have one. Finally, money. We'll allow your entire family a cash hoard of $5. If you can imagine that, that's how 1.3 billion people live every day in our world. I don't know about you, but I find that confronting. I find that shocking, and it's easy for me to be unaware and therefore unmoved by the fact that 1.3 billion people, that's, that's what their daily life 
looks like. Oxfam estimates it would take $60 billion annually to end that extreme poverty, and that's less than a quarter of the income of the top 100 richest billionaires. That's challenging when you think about the disparity between the extremely wealthy and the extremely poor. The news is not all bad. In fact, there's been a lot of progress in the last 30 years. In the last 30 years, since 1990, nearly 1.1 billion fewer people are living under extreme poverty. That's a reduction of nearly 36%. And that's through people actually becoming aware and acting and getting involved in the cause of justice and alleviating extreme poverty. And so awareness is where it begins, opening our eyes, opening our ears, being aware of the current issues, whether it's watching the news or reading or listening to people's stories, having a heart of concern for the well-being of all people as well as our environment. Abraham Heschel, a well-known Jewish theologian. In fact, his book on the prophets is probably the best book ever written on the Old Testament prophets. He was also an activist, uh, marched alongside Martin Luther King uh, in uh, that whole protest against the way uh, black people were being treated in America. He said, the opposite of good is not evil, it is indifference. The opposite of good is not evil, it is indifference. Indeed, our very humanity depends upon our compassion. And so if we're going to be moved, if we're going to actually be prompted to act justly, it starts with awareness, opening our eyes, opening our ears. Onto the next slide, let us see. A is awareness, C is choices. Awareness is great, but it's not enough. It's easy to be a bystander. Someone who stands by, aware of what's going on. But we've got to move from being a bystander to being an ally involved in bringing about justice. Awareness is great, but it needs to motivate us to action. Uh, The choices we make every day, what we pray about, the things we buy, discerning between necessities and luxuries, reflecting on our own values, thinking about our giving and our generosity, Acting for those who have no voice. Voting in an informed manner. We've got an election coming up in November. Uh, voting and considering the, the policies and the values of the, the parties and the individuals that we promote. And then not just voting once every four years, but realizing the politicians are there to actually represent Uh, the community that they serve. And so to be communicating, to be talking, to be praying for them is also important in our choices. This is about being intentional, moving awareness to choices. And as we make choices, when we see injustice, there are three levels of of, of choices that we can make. One is to do something directly. Uh, You and I, we can see injustice. We can actually do something directly. Directly getting involved and alleviating that suffering and bringing justice into an individual situation that we see. That's the first choice we can make. The second choice is is social reform, where we actually create and support organizations that are seeking to bring justice for more and more people. The third level is social transformation, where we actually seek to see structures uh, change that so that they don't cause suffering to people and privilege to some and not to others. Uh, Social action and social justice are similar but different. Uh, One's like having an ambulance at the bottom of a hill. You may have heard this analogy. You know, if there's a big cliff and people are falling off, it's good to have an ambulance there helping people recover from their fall. But how many know it's actually really important to think about building a fence at the top of the cliff 
to stop people from falling. So social action, social care is really important. Uh, those uh, recovery and support ministries. But social justice is actually about changing the systems that cause people to end up in suffering. And both of them are important. Uh, the social action is a lot easier. It's, it's called charity. Uh, the justice is a little bit harder. Uh, charity means helping victims of injustice. Justice is saying, why are there victims? Why are these people suffering? Uh, charity never offends. Ever had someone yell at you because you're being charitable? Charity doesn't offend. Fighting for justice can and does when you seek to change systems and structures. As a, a bishop in Brazil, Bishop Dom Heda Camara, he said, When I gave food to the poor, they called me a saint. But when I asked why there were so many poor people, they called me a communist. So charity is important. Social action is important. Getting involved, helping individuals, really, really important. Uh, justice goes to another level where there's a, an addressing Sometimes a confronting of systems and structures that cause suffering for people. And I believe we're called to do both of those things. And so awareness is vital if we're going to act justly. And then thinking about the choices that we make every day. Every day we make choices that can work towards and for justice and alleviate suffering. Or they can contribute to injustice and towards suffering. And then thirdly is time. Time. We all have the same amount of time. We're all busy people, but acting justly starts with awareness, moves to our choices, but does require some investment of our time. Whether that's directly helping people or getting involved in ministries and organizations that advance the cause of justice. Um, there are some great, great groups, some great organizations where we can become aware of the need, we can make choices, we can invest our time as well as our resources. Uh, sponsoring a child can make a huge difference in someone's life. Nicole and I sponsored a child from Ethiopia for many years. He's grown now and doing exceptionally well. I know many of you sponsor children. That's a, that's a great thing you can do to help alleviate poverty and suffering. There are great organizations like Micah Challenge, uh, making uh, an end to poverty. Opportunity International that gives poor people microloans and so many groups and uh, areas we can get involved. And Bayside here, one of the things I love about Bayside is the social conscience of this church. And there are so many initiatives. Think of the, the death penalty and the recent movie Guilty and all that uh, Rob and Christie are doing. And uh, just a great champion for justice that they and the church are being. We heard a bit about men, uh, men's health, men's mental health tonight. Uh, kids off Nauru, to think that there are 52 young children there that have been there for five years in desperate situation. There are so many different causes that we can get involved in, speak out on, and act but it does take some time and some energy. Let me finish with a, an inspiring story. Uh, it's a man called Derek Kayongo. Anyone heard of Derek? Let me introduce you to Derek Kayongo. Uh, Derek was a one-time refugee in Uganda. And as a 10-year-old boy, he fled his country to nearby Kenya with his family when Idi Amin uh, triggered a brutal war 
in his homeland of Uganda. Uh, He landed amongst refugees who lacked so many things, including basic necessities, uh, as simple as a bar of soap (laughs) to wash and keep clean. Uh, Through a series of events, by the age of 22, he was able to immigrate to the United States, where he went on to earn a master's degree and began working in not-for-profits such as Amnesty International. But on his first day in America, Derek uh, was staying in a hotel, and he was preparing to have a shower. And he was blown away by all the different kinds of soaps in his hotel room. There was hand soap, there was face soap, there was body soap, there was shampoo, there was conditioner. Sounds like your bathroom, I know. Uh, But he could not believe all of it. He'd never seen so many soaps for one person. After a few days, he began to wonder what happened to the partially used soap. You know, you open the soap, you use it, and the next day there's a new bar there. He was in this hotel for a few days. And he just noticed every day there's like a new bar of soap rocking up uh, on, on the bathroom ledge there. And so he, he wanted to find out what was happening with this used soap. And so he asked, only to be discovered that they were being thrown away. Thrown away. One, one use in the, in the shower, and out they went in the bin. And there was a new one the next day. Inspired by his experiences as a refugee in Kenya, and knowing that in crisis, communities are often without soap at all, Derek Kayonga and his wife, Sarah, created a life-changing international organization that started collecting all the discarded soaps from hotels wherever they could find, reprocessing the soaps and distributing them to vulnerable populations around the world. This simple idea helped to fight one of the major killers of children in at-risk communities, hygiene-related diseases. And so Derek Kiango founded the Global Soap Project in Atlanta in 2008, a not-for-profit that collects partly used bars of soap from hotels, sanitizes, recycles them, and then gives them to refugees all around the planet. They are now active in 32 countries. Giving, they've given millions of bars of soap to refugees and people affected by disasters like the earthquakes in Haiti and Nepal. By 2014, they'd given away 5 million bars of soap. And in 2015, they gave away 10 million alone. Global Soap has recently partnered with Clean the World. These organizations have contributed to an amazing 30% reduction in child deaths globally since 2009. And now Derek has expanded his vision to include microloans, training for soap makers in communities around the world. In fact, the city of Atlanta has designated May the 5th every year as Global Soap Project Day. I think that deserves a clap. And if you want to hear his story, just put his name in and there's a TED talk where he tells his story. I love that story because I think it really encapsulates what we're trying to talk about tonight. Jesus is saying to these Pharisees, hey, you got it all out of balance. You're caught up with insignificant things and you're missing what really matters to the heart of God. How often you and I sometimes get preoccupied with 
things that they're important, but they're not most important. Jesus is saying justice trumps. It's of a higher priority, a higher value than some of the things that we get so worked up about. Justice is not about just believing in justice, but acting justice. It starts with awareness. Just think of Derek. He's just doing his normal day. He's about to have a shower, and he looks at a piece of soap. He just notices what, 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 what could happen in our world if we would just slow down and notice. Just slow down and notice just one thing he noticed. Asked a couple of questions. And the rest is history. Now, I'm not suggesting that all of us are going to start organizations. But if we could just open our eyes, if we could just be aware of what is taking place around about us and let that awareness move our hearts to affect the choices that we make on a daily basis and the time that we spend so that we can actually see justice and God's love be a reality for people's lives. You know... The world's need for justice and systemic transformation is huge. And we can be overwhelmed by it all. What can we do? We can become passive or indifferent. The truth is we can't do everything, but we can all do something. And I loved uh, something I read this week, that the task of bringing justice to our world is a bit like women gathering to make a patchwork quilt. It's a good feminine illustration, which from a male speaker is very rare. So here's women gathering to make a patchwork quilt. Nobody is responsible for doing the whole quilt. Rather, it's the product of a host of people working together. The important thing is for each of us to do our patch. I don't know what your patch is. I don't know what your part is. But as we all do our patch, this quilt work of Justice coming to our world will take place. Would you pray with me? We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. For more information, visit markconnor.com.au.